Okay, so tonight, like I said, is, is uh, looking at some of these final questions and trying to recap a little bit and maybe bring some things to uh, So, you know, thinking back over the whole uh, course of this, you know, we very we, early on, we centered on the idea of resurrection, right? The, that that's the central biblical hope, especially in the New Testament. Uh, and it's about a, a spiritual body, right? That's kind of bringing together the, the spiritual side and the, the uh, material side that, that God is in both of those. Uh, and so, but to me, the big point with resurrection, right? Spiritual body is kind of a hard idea to understand. Uh, but the, I think the point is you're still you, but you're when you're united with God, right? So you're not just turning into this essence or this immaterial soul, but you're still you uh, in, in fact, the truest sense of yourself. And that is how we are united with God fully. And then we saw that, that, that if that's what God is doing with us, it's not about our souls leaving earth and going off to heaven, um, how that uh, fits with what God is doing with all creation. So the idea of the new heavens, the new earth, or the restoration of all things uh, is, is a central idea as well that's very often been missed, right? So God created the world and called it good. And so in the end, God is going to make the world good again, fully make it what it was supposed to be. Uh, and so that kind of shapes, uh, hopefully everything that we talked about, right? That it all fits into that idea. And again, it, it gives us a very different perspective on how we live this life, which is one of the big points of, of this class. So for the last few weeks, we've been talking about hell uh, and different views of it, whether it's uh, about torment or destruction or purification, uh, because you can see all that in scripture, but we want to be able to fit that together, uh, mostly by thinking about the nature of God, right? And uh, so I, I, I talked more about the idea of purification, because I think that's less common and you know, what we've traditionally heard. Um, and so what I wanted to do, and we, uh, I had this in my notes for last week, but we didn't have time, is look at Revelation 21 and 22, the last two chapters of the last book, and kind of use that as a summary of all this stuff, uh, particularly looking at this question of, of hell, and, uh, but really all of it, we can see elements there. So uh, let's go there to Revelation 21. I'm not going to read all of the, the, these two chapters, but I'm going to read uh, good sections of it. And just a reminder, any time that we are looking at Revelation, it, that we're looking at symbolic language, right? Uh, it's a metaphor. It doesn't mean that we ignore it. We want to take it seriously, but not take it literally. Right? That's, that's a mistake that we as modern readers often make. We think things have to be literal to be true, but that's not the way that for most of history, people would have thought. And so, right, New Jerusalem, that's going to talk about, is probably not a literal city that's 1,500 miles long, wide, and tall, right? That's uh, impossible, basically. Um, but we do want to right, take seriously the ideas in here about God restoring things, making all things new, as it says, that God addresses evil, that God comes to us, right? We want to take that seriously. And so just trying to figure out what are these images and metaphors and symbols trying to communicate. So I'm going to read in uh, starting in chapter 21, and I'll tell you where I'm jumping ahead a little. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God, and they will be his people's 
and God himself will be with them. We'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I'm going to skip down to verse 22, and there you get kind of the vision of New Jerusalem and describing all the walls and what they're made of. Uh, verse 22, I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life, and it's 12 kinds of fruit, producing each, its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night. They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And then jumping down to verse 12. See, I am coming soon. My reward is with me to repay according to everyone's work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates outside of the dogs and sorcerers and fornicators and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. It is I, Jesus, who sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let everyone who hears say, come. Let everyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who wishes to take the water of life as a gift. All right, so... We're seeing this idea of restoration, right? We already talked about, we looked at this for the new heavens, the new earth. God is making all things new, not making all new things. Uh, it's God coming to us, not us going to God, right? That was uh, some, something we've seen before. But here we want to look at the fate of the wicked in this kind of story, right? Again, how much Revelation is a story with a you know, chronological narrative, that's, that's always hard to say. But it seems to be you can track uh, how, how some of these relationships are working. So uh, the fate of the wicked seems pretty obvious that they are thrown into the lake of fire. That's in 21.8, right? And it gives you a list of some of these types, not necessarily everyone, but the, the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Uh, so second death, uh, I think we talked about that idea before. First death is when we naturally die. Second death is the, that final death, um, right? The idea of death could imply destruction, Right, that, that second view of being annihilated. Um, death is, is pretty much a final thing. It's not something that goes on and on and on forever. Um, another interesting thing here, and 
we, if we had more time, we'd get into a little more. But there are some people who think that whenever Revelation is talking about the lake of fire, uh, that's actually kind of a reference to the Dead Sea, um, which was also associated with Sodom and Gomorrah, right? There was this idea that, that the place where Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed is now where the Dead Sea is, right? Because, right, the salt is associated with it, right? Lot's wife is a pillar of salt, very salty sea. Nothing can grow there. Nothing can live in this lake. Uh, and so in the Jewish memory, there was kind of an association between the two. Which is interesting. I, that was something I had only read recently and never heard before. But the idea that the point of that is this lake of fire concept is actually still like Gehenna, right? Where we talked about that um, place where there had been sacrifice outside of Jerusalem, which we translate as hell. The lake of fire also is building off of a real place with a history of judgment, right? And so they're taking this uh, real place and kind of using it in a metaphorical way here. Um, so that's that's where it seems like the, the wicked are. And also, as we heard, they can't enter uh, in verse 27, and they're outside of the gates uh, in uh, verse 15 of chapter 22. But that idea that, you know, it seems to imply that they're somehow waiting outside, um, Right, this is 2215 outside of the dog sorcerers, everyone else. Um, how can they be kind of waiting outside if they're, you know, destroyed in this fire, right? So we're already seeing there's kind of this tension here of, well, are they dealt with and gone and they're out of the picture or are they still there? All right, and then you see this, this invitation, right? We heard that, that was the last verse I read, verse 17, where the spirit, the bride, everyone is told, come. And anyone who is thirsty, uh, he wants to drink from the spring, come. And it seems like at this point in the, the story, to use that term, uh, the righteous are already in, right? And so who's being invited here? I don't know. You could read it as, as talking to them, uh, the people that are outside, right? They have to wash their robes in the blood of the lamb. But the other phrase that I think is, is really key here is when it's talking about the gates, right? Heaven is a gated community. Uh, you've maybe seen some... <laughs> memes about that, but the gates are never shut, right? That's the key. Um, they're never shut. They're, they're always open. Well, who are they open for, right? I mean, that's kind of interesting, um, right? Usually the gates, the purpose of gates and walls is to keep people out. Well, it says it has those, but they keep them open, um, which again, it raises that possibility of, well, is there somebody it's open for? I don't know. And then look at who it talks about coming in here. Uh, it focuses on the nations and the kings of the earth. Now, if we go through all of Revelation, which we don't have time to do, uh, the kings of the earth and the nations in Revelation are, they're the bad guys, basically. They're consistently opposed to Christ. Uh, chapter 17, you see some good examples of this. Uh, they're, they're, they're opposed to Christ, but they're defeated by him. And you would presume that they're thrown in the lake of fire. And yet, what does it say that the kings of the earth and the nations are doing here. It says in uh, 21, 24, and 26 that they are bring their glory into the city, that they walk by the light of the city, um, right? And that's right where it says that the gates will never be shut. It's talking about the nations and the kings of the earth, the bad guys. Uh, they'll bring in the glory. And then in verse 2 of chapter 22, where it talks about the tree of life, is the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations, Right? So we see them both punished or uh, judged, but also a reference to healing. 
Um, and so, right, we're, we're seeing this tension here that uh, there seems to be, it seems final, but then there also seems the possibility of, of openness. And obviously it's clear that evil has to be left behind, right? Uh, nothing unclean will enter it, verse 27, chapter 21, right? If you're practicing these things, you can't bring that in. But the way I think of that is it's like uh, you have a dog and they've got a stick in their mouth and they're trying to get through a door, but the stick is too big, right? It's, it's, they can't, it's not that nobody, it's not that we're not letting our dog in, it's because he's holding on to that thing, he can't make it through. And so it's, it's the idea that these things, uh, falsehood, lying, uh, murdering, they don't fit. And so if you're trying to bring that in, if you're still trying to hold on to that and be in the new Jerusalem, you just don't fit. Um, and so you got to let that stuff go. And so, again, I don't know if that gives a definitive answer, but I think we can see here uh, the point that I've been, I think, trying to make the last few weeks. We want to hold together the, the warnings, the very serious warnings that are all through Scripture uh, about those who choose a way of life that's, that's apart from God, but also to see the hope. Right? The, the, the gates are always open. Uh, again, this is you know, why we're reading The Great Divorce for our book clubs. I think it's, it's pointing in the same direction that, um, as we talked about last week, all in hell choose it. Right? If God, God has his way, um, God doesn't want anybody to perish, but God gives us freedom. Uh, and so we're trying to hold those together um, and take both sides seriously. But like I said at the end of last week, uh, the Christian story, I think, calls us to hope. Hope is, right, faith, hope, and love. Those are the three biggies. Uh, and so it's not a bad thing to have hope. Okay. Well, let's, uh, we'll get into the, some of the questions that I had from, from people in the class. But again, if, if you ever think of something you want to talk about, uh, happy to do that too. So uh, moving to something very important now, now that we've talked about <laughs> the final story and possibilities and hope and destruction, uh, we get to the big question of, do all dogs go to heaven? Because <laughs> we're all wondering, right? And when you say dogs, I guess we can include cats or uh, whatever animal you care about. That was my question. Okay, that was, Aaron Jane wants to admit that was her who asked. Um, so the first thing I would point out is to think about the nature of that question, right? Do all dogs go to heaven, right? As we've seen, one of the big things I've tried to emphasize that through all of this is that going to heaven when you die is not really the, the big focus in the biblical story, right? It's, it's about this, this bigger view of God restoring everything and God coming here, right? Not our souls going to heaven. Um, and so, right, because that's usually how that question gets answered, right? Well, animals don't have souls like humans, and so they don't go off, our, their souls don't go to heaven like our souls do. Well, that's, it's kind of not, it's missing the story completely to frame it that way. So really what I would ask is, where does the Bible teach that God only cares about humans? Right now we can find plenty of places that say we have a special role within creation, right? Uh, to be caretakers of it, have dominion or responsibility for it. We've talked about that idea several times. But does that mean that we're the only ones that God cares about? Who made the animals? It was God. Um, so I think God should care about them too. All right, sometimes I think our view of salvation is a little self-centered, that it's all about us, right? And, and yes, we are an important part of that, right? Jesus became human. Um, but if you read Romans uh, 8, it's because we're the ones that mess things up, right? And all of creation 
is waiting for us to be who we're meant to be. And when that happens, all of creation will be set free. Um, so the restoration of all things implies all creation. Um, even in New Jerusalem, right? It doesn't talk about animals being there, but the image of that city, it, it's a, well, it's a city, but it's also a garden, right? You see images of, of rivers and trees. Um, and so it's, it's bigger than just human beings. It's, it's all of it, right? We're not going back to the Garden of Eden. We're, we're actually including um, human development. And that's a good thing when it's done in the right way. Um, Chris, when you think that as far as, as like the animals, for example, if God went to all the trouble to, to uh, make sure that all the animals were on the ark and were cared for and, and, were, yeah. and provisions were made for them to all be together in a way, even the, the uh, ones that, that ate the others were still all yeah. made to be where they could live together during that period of time. Uh, wouldn't it stand a reason that he would, would have provisions? I mean, it, it, he, had, he yeah, cared for the animals then. Yeah, that's a good story so. to bring into that. I hadn't thought of that before. But yeah, God cares about the animals then. Um, all right, and that, that gets again to this idea that we just think that animal creation, whatever parts of it we're thinking about, only exists for us, for our use. And that's led to a lot of the problems that we're seeing in our world today is we have dominated creation in an ungodly way. And so I think to me, again, with all these, I can't give a definitive answer, but to me that points towards, yes, it won't just be us. Now, I don't know if that means your personal pets will be resurrected and you'll see them again. <laughs> we would love to see our childhood uh, pets. Uh, I can't say, but to me, it seems like it would make more sense in this vision that uh, all things are, are included and are there. All right, uh, another question. In other words, complete. Yeah, right. It's, the, 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 it's creation, creation is not just us. Right? Yeah, it, the, the whole thing will be complete, still mm -hmm. complete. Yeah. All right, another question. Uh, we won't spend a lot of time on this because we did a whole session, but it, it came up a couple times of basically, will we know each other? And uh, short answer, I would say yes, right? Because uh, the big picture of, of scripture is all about community. Right? God in God's own being is community as the Trinity. And so our relationships matter. And so I think we are right to, to hope that we will uh, and expect to see others again, that we'll be reunited. That's a, that is a common image that we've seen. All right, but on with that, uh, the next question that I got was, someone asked, since there aren't any tears in heaven, is that because we wouldn't be sad if loved ones we wanted to be in heaven didn't make it? Uh, so yeah, this is, this is uh, it's a good question, uh, something to think about. Um, of, okay, if we're not sad in heaven anymore, there's no tears, um, but if some people aren't there that we love, wouldn't that make us sad? I'm trying to fit that together. Um, well, one thing, you, know, you see this, it's actually in Revelation 21, uh, verse 4. It says, that's where it said, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Uh, death will be no more mourning and crying and pain will be no more. And, you know, I've always thought that's interesting that it says God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Um, I know it says there'll be no crying, but you know, to me, it's interesting. It's it, it, with that idea of God wiping the tears away. It's a possibility that, you know, there are still things that we might miss or, or, you know, especially when it comes to relationships that we could be sad about, but God himself is there comforting us, wiping those tears away um, and being with us. Um, and there have been very different answers that people have given to this sort of question before uh, about, 
basically how those in heaven are looking or thinking about those that are not there. Um, some uh, would say that people in heaven are celebrating the torment of the damned, but uh, I think it's pretty easy to say that's not very Christ-like, uh, that we're not rejoicing in uh, their suffering. Um, now we can, and this is again, a thing you see through Revelation, we can rejoice and hope for judgment that those who uh, through the life cause a lot of harm, um, that God is finally declaring, you know, this was good and this was not good, right? That's, that's what judgment is really about. God definitely said this, not this. And that's good. We want that to happen. We hope for that. Um, but we don't want to rejoice in torture. Another answer that people have given to this uh, is that basically God will give a sort of heavenly lobotomy so that you'll forget about people that aren't in heaven with you anymore. Uh, which I think is kind of problematic. I don't know about you. Um, you know, to me, the idea is that in heaven, we, are, we know fully, right? Not that we forget inconvenient facts, um, right? Resurrection is about you're still you. And so if you're less than yourself now, that, that seems to go the opposite direction. And I don't know, this doesn't seem very godly. Again, that's, you know, sometimes that's just me, but doesn't seem godly for God to just make you forget people that you truly cared about. Um, I think it makes us, this question makes us reflect on the nature of memory and identity, right? Because who you are is intimately tied to your memories, right? If you forget everything about your life before, are you still really the same person? A lot of people would say, well, not really, right? What you've experienced, uh, primarily your relationship with other people that has made you the person that you are. Um, no man is an island, right? Uh, you are who you are based on the relationships that you've had through your life. And so to lose part of that relationship means to lose part of yourself. Um, so, you know, when we, if we're reflecting on those people, I don't know how that works. Uh, really my point is the, just forgetting them doesn't really make sense of the idea that, well, you just wouldn't think about them, right? Is, is uh, neglect of suffering all that godly either? I don't think so. Um, and again, uh, as we've talked about before, if, um, if I can be more forgiving or care more about suffering than God apparently does, then something might be wrong with my picture of God. Um, pity for the suffering is the heart of God, right? It's what led God to become human and die on a cross to fully enter into our suffering. Um, God enters into that suffering in order to relieve it. Um, and so I don't, I don't have a perfect answer to this, um, but I think, you know, it may, again makes us reflect on the nature of, of how that works. If it's just, well, they're stuck down there and they wish they, you know, they want to repent and they're sorry, but God just says, no, forget it. Um, I don't think that fits as well. Um, now, I don't think that means that just everybody gets in automatically, as I've said before. Um, but the, the idea that we would, you know, um, mourn their loss um, makes sense, even though, but we still have to reconcile that with it saying there's, there's no mourning. Um, it's actually in uh, the chapter we're looking at tomorrow for a great divorce, it talks about pity and there's a way that pity can be used as blackmail, right? Where people want to make you feel bad by not repenting, right? Um, and that's, that's not going to work. Um, 
right? You can't bring hell into heaven, like I said, right? You can't, it just doesn't fit. Um, but the desire to save somebody, um, that's a good desire. And so I think we want to reflect on that a little more. Okay, so that was sort of an answer. <laughs> any, any more questions or ways I can clarify a little with that? Uh, I don't know about, sorry, I finished, so I, I, can, I can hop back. All right, welcome back. Uh, this is something that's, that's hit me as the kids are getting older, is that at some point you realize they're not really your kids. I mean, you gave them <laughs> genetics, and there's all kinds mm -hmm. of stuff when you look at them, and you go, oh, yeah, well, that, that came from, you know, Uncle Bob or whatever and mm -hmm. so forth. But at the end of the day, they're not yours. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's, it's kind of unsettling. <laughs> but then you realize you look, look at your own parents and you go, well, I'm my own person. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think maybe the reason that there wouldn't seem to be mourning in heaven for those loved ones is because there's this reorientation. When you're in heaven, you, you see how everyone's ultimately just connected to God mm. rather than through this kind of chain of ancestry and so forth that we have a, this immediate need for i mean when you think about it your friends that you that you love and care for and want to see there i i mean obviously there there's all kinds of situations but i think a lot of the time the people that we would see as friends are the ones that we recognize in them the spirit of god i mean that's that's one, one reason we're friends with them so yeah. well, they're going to be there. <laughs> yeah. uh, they're they're going to be there. Uh, and then those that aren't, it, it may hurt. But again, when, when you're there with God, it's almost, could it be just so overwhelming that you, oh, you know, hey. <laughs> hmm. uh, yeah, it does redefine all, all relationships, right? Um, and so, yeah, it, it's tricky. You, you know, we, again, I think we don't want to say, well, we just forget about them, you know, but we see it and we see everything differently, right? All of our loves now, all our love now is partial. It'll be complete there. Mm. I may change the perspective we have on some of these relationships. But at the same time, I don't, it's hard for me to say that means you would stop caring about somebody, but it's, it's going to be different. And that's, again, a lot of this is, um, there's tension still, there's going to be some mystery, but I, I want us to at least reflect on it a little bit and give us something to think about. So thanks. All right, uh, so the next question that somebody had turned in uh, asked, are pedophiles or murderers judged or punished the same as a philanthropic atheist? It's uh, also interesting, good question. Now we did talk about judgment in one of our, our sessions. Uh, and you know, I can go back and, and listen to that again if you want. You know, emphasize that judgment, everyone is judged, right? What you do matters, even for Christians. Uh, and so the idea that it's just, well, did you get baptized or not? Did you make the commitment or not? That's all that matters. Well, no, it seems like um, how you lived does matter. And um, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I remember sometimes hearing this idea that like all sin is the same to God. And so whether you killed somebody or whether you told a white lie once, either way, you're going to hell. Uh, I don't really see that idea in scripture that much. I don't know if somebody has a, a place where they... Uh, can, can see that clearly. To me, that seems it was more of a scare tactic, honestly, to get people to make commitment. Like, well, if you told a lie, you don't have to be a murderer. Um, right? Yes, all sin is, matters. Um, we don't want to just ignore it. But I think, you know, for the sake of justice, it would make sense that God would uh, judge different sins differently. Right? Or even if you're going to make amends for it, right? 
that that process is going to be different. Um, and so, but what is the difference in, yeah, like a murderer, which is a very obvious uh, sinful act, and someone who does good in their life, but doesn't claim to believe in God, the philanthropic atheist, right? So maybe they give a lot to charity or uh, engaged in a lot of um, things to make the world a better place, but didn't say they believe in God. One answer is uh, to look at Matthew 25 in a particular way, right? Matthew 25, we have the parable of the sheep and the goats. Uh, we've probably referenced it before. Um, pretty, pretty well known, right? That um, he separates the sheep and the goats. The sheep were those who uh, fed the poor, uh, you know, took care of, of other people, uh, not knowing that it was Christ. And the goats are those who didn't do those things uh, and didn't recognize that it was Christ, that they weren't helping. Um, the interesting thing here that sometimes gets, gets skipped over is you look at verse 32, the very beginning of this parable, it says, all the nations will be gathered before him, right, the Son of Man, and he'll separate them one from another. Uh, that word, the nations, is uh, often translated as the Gentiles, right? That's, that's the same word there that's used. And so it's possible that this is referring to how, uh, right, again, Jesus is talking to, to Jewish people, and he's saying this is how the nations are going to be judged. Did they do these sort of um, kind acts or not? Um, and it's, again, it's interesting, right? and that does sort of fit because the sheep, those who are in, didn't know they were doing it for Christ, right? They didn't say they were doing this because they believed in Christ uh, necessarily. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't, um, but they didn't know that this is who they were doing it to or for. So that's one way that some people have interpreted that. Uh, I think we can still take that more broadly as, you know, we all, um, whether our claim to believe in Christ is shaping how we treat the least of these, as it says there, um, shows whether you have faith or not. So I think that's still important for us. Uh, but that is one way that you can read that parable. Another way to think about this is, so this, this supposed atheist is doing all these good things. Uh, what motivated that? What caused that? Um, I would say this is a place, we'll actually talk about this some on, on sun, this Sunday when we talk about Jesus ascending into heaven, that he's reigning and he's Lord now. Uh, this is a place where I talk about how Christian values have kind of infected, it's not the best word, but uh, have spread throughout the whole world, right? It's like the parable of the yeast that Jesus tells, that it's hidden in the dough, but it slowly spreads through all of it. And, uh, or it's also like what Jeremiah predicted in Jeremiah 31, that God's laws be written on the heart. You want it to say, know the Lord, because they'll just know it. Uh, it's kind of this idea that, that we don't even see the way that the values that Christ proclaimed that go back to the Old Testament um, of loving God, loving your neighbor, seeing all people as having the image of God. That's just kind of can be assumed by people now. Uh, and for most of history, that wasn't the case. Um, there's a book called Atheist Delusions where the author is kind of talking about this, the idea that um, universal equality or the, the need for compassion that you can just assume, well, that's just what you should do, right? The only reason people assume that is because Christian values have so like seeped into our culture in a good way, right? And that's what's motivating that. Um, and so again, it's the question of what's keeping those people out? What can they not let go of, right? That's also in the great divorce. The problem, people that can't make 
make it in is because they can't let go of something. And, you know, if it's an obvious sin like murder, that's a pretty easy thing to look at and say, you know, that was, that wasn't good. And, and to repent of that, it's a lot harder when it's something that's deeper down. Uh, so how would all these people react to God when they meet them face to face? You know, if their response is still, no, I still don't believe in you. I still don't think you're, you're good. I mean, what's God going to do? God's not going to force people to, to be with him in heaven. Um, but if anyone who's repenting, um, yeah, I think God can take that seriously. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I don't want to, I'm not saying that just they did good work, so they're going to get in, right? That's uh, pretty clear that that's not how it works. And yet, um, the question is, well, what were those, what was inspiring those good works? I would say Christ was actually working in that. Um, and, and whether they can recognize that is, is kind of the big question in my mind. Um, so it's tricky, right? This is the problem with the, the whole uh, struggle with talking about judgment and uh, works and grace is you kind of have to hold them together and not go too far. And it's, it's only what you do that matters or nothing that you do matters. Uh, it matters for everyone what you do and how you live. But why are you doing it? Um, are you seeing it as, is it uh, an outflow of the, the love of Christ that you're experiencing or not? Right? Spirit moves where the spirit moves. And we don't see it, right? That's what Jesus says in John 3. Um, so yeah, where's the spirit moving now? Uh, probably places we don't really expect. And so it always have to be, you know, uh, I think have humility about that. See, you know, maybe Christ is working in places that we wouldn't think he is and not take that for granted. All right. Well, uh, maybe, I mean, maybe, I mean, obviously the first step to this thing is to, uh, accept the gospel and, uh, and, and, and the sign of obedience there of uh, doing what we, we need to do to, to accept Jesus Christ's sacrifice. And of course, it, if we don't do that, then all of this it becomes a mute point. So that's really the starting place. And I guess for me, you know, we, we see uh, uh, faith without works is dead. Well, mm -hmm. uh, to me, if you really appreciate that sacrifice that was made on our behalf, then 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 the life you live is going to show that. Yeah. Yeah, we hope so. Right. And again, we don't want to get into like, well, how much do I have to do? Right. How many times did I have to visit? Right. It's, you know, it's yeah, it's what kind of how much are you shaped by by this spirit of Christ? Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is not a ball game. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> there is no score. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Funny you mention that because uh, what pops into my mind, which is very, very far from a biblical reference, but is a story Bill Parcells used to share early in his coaching career uh, where he said, like, the biggest mistake so many coaches make is they try to treat everybody the same. I'm going to mm -hmm. be fair to everybody. And he says that's a huge, huge, huge mistake because people are not the same. And so they should not be treated the same. Uh, you, you know, there's an underlying question about, well, what's just and fair? I, I think that's where we have to hand it over to God. Uh, you know, along with the, the, well, I don't know how do you, the, this what, atheist? Yeah, uh, philanthropic atheist, right? Right. There's also the classic, you know, example of, you know, what about the, the tribal guy in the middle of the Amazon that never got, <laughs> you know, never got told about Jesus. And mm -hmm. I, that's up to God. I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't think we can get there. I, I, what does Paul say when he's telling, uh, he's telling the story to maybe it was 
I think it was the Mars Hill. But anyway, and he's saying, you know, formerly God overlooked such things, but yeah. now he's called us to tell you all about Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so Yeah, or like what he says in Romans 1, right? You know, they're without excuse because they can, the Gentiles, right? Because they yeah. can be from nature, just that there's something bigger. And so, yeah, it's, again, like you're, I like what you're saying there that, you know, we, it's, that's in God's hands. It's not up to me. And I don't, I want, I don't want to answer definitively on this, but to say, you know, what Paul's pointing at there seems to be like, well, you know, yeah, God in some way is making God's self known, right? That's like I was saying with what Jeremiah predicted, uh, that God is still working, right? And yes, we want to tell the good news because we think it makes a difference in people's lives and it matters. And yet God is actually bigger than that, right? Um, God's spirit is working everywhere, and we're just trying to join in that work. All right, um, let's look at, I have one more question that people have turned in, and that will probably be all we have time for. Uh, so someone asked, does it matter if you like God? Do you just need to fear or follow God to get your ticket? No questions asked. Okay, so this is kind of the opposite side here, right? We were talking about the, the non-believer who's doing good things, and here we have, I guess, a believer who doesn't really do much or doesn't really like God. They just, you know, said the right words. And so my first, my first question to this question is, well, if you don't like God, why would you like heaven? Right? If God, if heaven is really just being in God's presence fully, then what makes you think you would like that? Um, and I also ask, well, what is it about God that you don't like? Um, right? It could be that you're rejecting a, a bad view of God, right? God being overly violent or angry or controlling. Um, and that's a lot of what I feel like I'm trying to do is break down some of those, those negative views that aren't, I would say, aren't really God, right? Maybe the reason people are rejecting God is because they're rejecting what is not God. Um, but they don't find, they don't then move on and find what God is actually like. Um, you know, we're all somewhat ignorant in this life, as we talked about before. Um, we're not totally free to choose the good, right? We're trying to become more free by following uh, Jesus. Um, but you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, what do you not like about God that you're rejecting? I think is important. And the story that this made me think of was the, the prodigal son, uh, but not, not him, not the younger son, the older brother, right? Because he shuts himself out of the party. Why? Because he doesn't like the father's forgiveness and generosity, right? He sees, uh, what the father is like, that he's loving and he accepts, uh, the other son and forgives him, but he doesn't want any part of that, Right. He doesn't think that's right. And so he shuts himself out. Um, and so again, you know, heaven is just uh, being more in tune with God's goodness and love and mercy. And, and if you don't like those things, then you're, you're kind of choosing to reject God. Um, and so it's not just about getting a ticket into heaven. It's about how you live, right? Um, how you live matters. Are you becoming more and more in tune with the spirit? of God, and, and you're seeing more love and joy and peace. Uh, if you're not, again, I'm not saying God's going to say, oh, well, I don't want you. It's like, you're not going to want to be there, right? And so um, fear can be, you know, again, we talked about this as well, that that First uh, John 4 verse about, you know, there's no fear in love, and if our relationship with God is only fear, that's not really a relationship, and, and you know, you can have that as a starting place, but hopefully it matures. And I'm not saying God's not going to keep working with people. Uh, if God's got eternity, why not? But, you know, it, we shouldn't 
think of fear as, as a primary motivator. All right, well, we're, we're out of time. Um, and uh, I think we'll, we'll stop here. Uh, hope you all appreciated this. You know, like I said, my big point with this class is to see how our view of the afterlife is intimately connected to our view of this life. Uh, and they both shape each other. And so the better we understand this, this vision of God restoring all things and God cares about all things, uh, the more we're going to care about all things. And, um, so uh, my hope is that we can learn to bring more heaven here and experience heaven here and see the ways that, um, that it's all connected and to hope uh, that God can work towards restoration and um, how all this fits together towards that goal of making things new. So thanks everyone for being a part of this. And, thank uh, you so much for the class and thank you for all your daily devotionals. They're great. <laughs> yeah, glad to do them. All right. We all have a blessed day.